Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. So friends, I'd like you all to stand. We're going to read the Word of God here together. And then in a, in a second, I'm um, going to invite up Joel Parker, who's going to give this unbelievable Word. I, I hope you're ready for it. Friends, are you ready today? We're going to be ready today for the Word of God, because it's going to come in, and it's hearts that are cultivated for it, it's going to bear amazing fruit i love this guy he's a dear brother and a co-conspirator in the jesus revolution so he's going to be preaching today out of matthew 28 i'm going to read it then you guys are going to clap and welcome him to the stage right we're going to do that and just honor the lord by that matthew 28 starting at verse 16 then the 11 disciples went to galilee to the mountain where jesus had told them to go When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Grab a seat, put your hands together. Well, hey guys. This is great, church indoors. Did you ever think we were going to get here? Actually, you guys have been back for a while, huh? 11 o'clock? The nine, what's new to us. And so... uh, Feels good, feels good. Hey, is it, are we at the point yet where we can, uh, we can turn and greet each other with a holy kiss? No, no? Oh, okay. Next week, next week, we'll get back to that. Um, hey, I've really enjoyed this series uh, on encountering um, because I think it reminds us all of that moment where God reached out to us and intervened in our life, right? When we personally encountered God. Yeah, it's amazing to look back at all these stories of when others encountered God, but for us personally, what an amazing, amazing thing to look back and remember. And that's why we come to church, right? It's, it's to encourage uh, one another in our, in our walks with the Lord. But man, it's so good to think back and just remember, man, when did God intervene in our life? When did we encounter God? And so today, what I want to do is I want to look at a very obvious uh, scripture, one that Man, we've all, if you've been around church or Christianity for any amount of time, you've, uh, you've definitely come across this because this is, this, is, uh, this is the quintessence of Jesus. This is, what, this is like his best. This is when he, his, uh, he's died, he's, he's come back to life, everyone freaked everybody out, and now he's, he's giving uh, this commandment and, uh, to go, therefore, into all the world and to proclaim the gospel, to baptize people. And I think uh, as, as we look at this, we can be re-encouraged as the church to get back into the fight as it pertains to the Great Commission. Um, it's something for me, uh, I, I always say I'm not a preacher, I'm a regurgitator. And so if, if any point of this, this message feels like, you know, a slap across the face, or if I'm getting preachy, just know that it's been two black eyes to me. And so as someone who loves Jesus and someone who, um, who's been uh, greatly impacted by, by God, I think 
it's time that I get back to the point where I can um, begin to share my faith with, with those around me in my community. And I think it's for us, the church, it's mandatory. And so we're gonna see that today. So, hey, can we pray? I haven't preached in a while. I got like sweaty palms. Like this is Pfeiffer and Mark. They, this, this is their normal thing, but man, I need help. So let's pray. Lord God, we love you this morning. And uh, I'm just so thankful for my church. I'm thankful for uh, the many faces in the audience today. I'm, th- I'm thankful for this campus. Just the ability to be here is such a gift. And God, we don't need to hear from Joel Parker this morning. We need to hear from you. And so we ask that your word would come alive, that it would be active, that it would truly impact us today. We're thankful that Joel Parker is not the teacher today. The Holy Spirit promises to be the teacher. So God, do that. Hold, we hold fast to that promise. And Lord, uh, I pray so that you would ordain my thoughts and anoint my lips as I handle your word. May I do so with honor and may I do so accurately because we love you, Jesus. And we pray all of this in your name, amen. Amen. All right, so here we go. Um, Before we dive into this text, again, that we're all very familiar with, I think we need to do some preliminary work because... Once again, are you guys guilty of this? Like anytime like the over exuberant like pastor or speaker gets up and talks about the great commission, he's like, come on church, go there for it. We get all excited and like children's ministry gets up and like, hey, we need volunteers for kids games. And you're like, yes. And we get all spiritually manipulated and we say yes to everything. Am I the only one who's been duped? And then what happens like two weeks later? That, that excitement, that, that, oh man, yeah, let's go conquer the world in the name of Jesus. It just starts to wane and go back to just normal Joel life. Am I the only one or can you guys relate to that? So I think we need to approach this text a little differently and we're gonna do so this morning. We're gonna do some preliminary work and then we'll get to the text and then we'll see what it does. But I wanna bring up two things before we start. And these are the two invitations of Jesus found all throughout the gospel account, all throughout the New Testament. The first one being this, Jesus's invitation to come unto himself. Come unto me, he says. And we know this passage when it says, come unto me all who are weary and burdened. And what does he say? I will give you, he'll give you rest, right? And the scripture says that in returning and rest, you shall be saved. We know that in coming unto Jesus, there's also salvation. Remember when Jesus says, let the children come to me, Don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. So this invitation of Christ to you and to me was simply for us to come to him for salvation, for healing. What else we got? We got uh, rest, we got instruction, wisdom, counsel. This is one of the most beautiful, intimate times that we have with Jesus. And it's, it's all throughout scripture. And it's for us today that we would adhere to uh, the invitation of Jesus to come unto himself. The second is this. It's come follow me. You guys remember this? What about Matthew 4, 19? When, when Jesus goes to Peter and Andrew and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Every single disciple he went to, he says, hey, will you follow me? So the first invitation, come unto me. And then Come follow me. Second, we see Jesus invites Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him. Remember that? And in, in, in that account, we, we hear that Matthew overhears this conversation when he says, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, Jesus says, but those who are sick. Now go and learn what this means. I desire compassion 
not sacrifice. I didn't come to call the religious or the righteous, but I came for sinners. And so if you're gonna follow Jesus, guess where he's gonna take you? He's gonna take you to sinners. He's gonna take you to the broken parts of this world in order that we might get to be a part of the solution. You see, see, this is the very mission of Christ being spoken of here. Luke 19.10 says this, for the son of man, for Jesus has come to seek and to save that which is lost. This is the missio dei. This This is the mission of God. We understand that God is a missionary God. His mission is to seek and to save us. And we are all church people. We're sitting here in church. We know that. We've encountered Jesus. But what about our friends and our family and our coworkers outside the door here? Well, you see, when we talk about the Great Commission, we have to understand that this mission is God's mission. It's not my mission. It's not your mission. It's God's mission. He just includes us in it. He invites us to come along, but there's a procedural way to go about that. Number one, come unto Jesus. That's where we're, again, we're saved. That's where we're healed. That's where we're instructed. That's that intimate relationship with him. And then we go follow him, right? That's when we go into all the world. That's when we go into kids games. That's when we go into junior high ministry. Well, if you're like me, it's still difficult, even in that process. And so I want to talk about what the two invitations bring about. And I believe these are the three priorities of the Christian faith. Now these are being, uh, these are shown in John chapter 15. And you guys are probably familiar with this passage as well, but he talks about the abiding relationship here, right? So that come unto me moment as Jesus invites us into his presence is what's being spoken of in John 15, five, when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide or remain in me and I in you, guess what? You're going to bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, so there we go. I remember when I was brand new to ministry, I, I got through college and went through seminary and did all that fun stuff. And then uh, they're like, hey, do you play guitar? And I'm like, no. They're like, okay, you got to go be a youth pastor. I'm like, all right. So I went and I, uh, I became a youth pastor. And they gave me the college ministry. So I started doing college ministry. And I love college kids because I was pretty close to that age demographic. I'd I'd had all the memories of of, of going through college and all the highs and the lows. I'm like, I can minister to these people. Well, man, God blessed it. It went really good. And so the the church board, they said, hey, uh, we want to give you the high school ministry as well. I said, great, very cool. I can remember high school. High school was fun. And so I did high school ministry and God blessed it and things were good and good. And they go, hey, we're gonna make you the director of student ministries. And I was like, I was a young kid. I'm like, titles are awesome. My parents are gonna like think they actually did a good job and applaud me. And so, uh, and so they gave me junior high. <laughs> I was ready to quit ministry and renounce my faith and walk away from the church. Man, I had a hard time loving junior high kids. <laughs> now, I have my own junior hire now, so I got I to watch my mouth. I love this junior hire, but other people's junior hires? No thanks, man. That's your own mess. And so here's where we see that second priority, I believe. And it's simply this, that if we are going to go, therefore, and to impact our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to love one another. 
right? John 15, 12 says, my commandment, my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Yeah, that's tough. Because again, I've fallen into the trap. I've like gotten all worked up and excited to go and to love my neighbor and do that stuff. But for some reason, it's unsustainable. Man, I've even found that in marriage. It's hard sometimes. You see, that's because we stand up at the altar when we get married and we talk about, uh, you know, the, the, the pastor's there and he's, he's reciting 1 Corinthians 13. And we're like, you know, we're looking into our, uh, our, the eyes of, of this, you know, beautiful woman or whatever. And, and we're sitting there and uh, we're, we're saying, love is, love is kind and love is wonderful. And love is all these things that like, I'm never gonna really be able to provide for you, but it's fun to say in front of all these people in the marriage ceremony. And then we get to the end of it. And you know, after we said love is patient, love is kind. And we say, yeah, then perfect love never fails. I'm like, dude, do you know who I am? I'm gonna fail you. You see, this is the love, not of Joel Parker, but it's the love of God, right? And this is the love that is modeled by Jesus laying everything down for us. That's the love that we're required to, to have if we're going to be missional people. Now, that could be a problem. But you see, the picture that's being spoken of here is one of God being the trunk of this tree, right? And us as, as followers of, of Jesus, merely being branches that are in an abiding relationship with him. That first priority, we can't abandon it. We can't just go out there and say, yeah, I'm gonna do our best to love our neighbor. No, we have to be people who are attached to the vine at all times. Why? Because the fruit of Joel Parker is bad fruit. Your fruit, guess what? It's bad fruit. It might look good at times. Have you ever had like Costco fruit where strawberries are like this big? You're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And, and you buy it and you take it home and it looks beautiful and you bite it. It's like tasteless and bland and terrible. No, is this, sorry, bad picture. <laughs> I'm from Seattle and that's, I'm probably reverting back to when like fruit had to travel like 10,000 miles to get to us. But that's, it's a real thing. And so it looks beautiful on the shelf, tastes terrible. But you see, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, ah, that's from that abiding relationship. We're in that abiding relationship. It's not our fruit, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's God's attributes alive and living in you and me. What's the first one? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is? Love, that's it, number one, right? So we understand that if we're gonna join God on his mission, what has to be evident is the love of God. And so we have to stop thinking it's our love that's going to win over anyone. It's not gonna work. Like Christ, this must be our motivation to be missional. First John 3.16, you don't get off of the easy John 3.16. No, I'm going first John 3.16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Listen, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Ooh, that's a sacrificial love. That's a real love. That's a Christ-like love. In fact, it is Christ's love. Remember, abiding will produce the fruit. It's the only way that we are going to be useful people. The church is going to be useful in our community. Third thing that we see in John 15 is this idea of bearing witness. 
It's found in John 15, 27. It says, and you shall also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now this is like the crux of it, right? This is where we normally just go to right away. We said, okay, when the whole great commission, go therefore, bear witness, preach the gospel. This is where we go to, but no, we have to understand that there's so much preliminary work that leads up to the point where we can bear witness for Jesus Christ. We have to be willing to be mindful of that moment when Jesus invited us unto himself. And not just back in 1996 in Cannon Beach, Oregon, when it happened for me, but when it happens tomorrow morning, when I wake up, okay, am I going to trust Jesus and am I actually gonna go into his presence and be comfortable in his presence? Okay, now we're off to somewhere. Then in that presence relationship, now come follow me. And it's not just 15 years ago when we started Nations media, or when I took the job at the church. No, that wasn't my go there for a moment. What is it for today? What is it going to be tomorrow? It's a perpetual thing. It's not a one and done. We make the mistake as Christians, I think, oftentimes by thinking the come unto me moment is a one and done. It's not. It's not. Be saved tomorrow. Be healed tomorrow. Be intimate with Jesus tomorrow. Don't ever let that fade away. Listen, you can't bear witness without love. It won't happen. It won't be good. You can't love apart from the abiding relationship. Now here we have the encounter, okay? Matthew 28, 16 through 20. We read that passage. And there's four things to observe here. Number one, this was, a man, this was mandated by Jesus. Here's that come unto me moment. Oftentimes we get so fixated on the go therefore. Listen, before the disciples could go, they had to come to Jesus. Jesus was on the mountaintop. It says, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Jesus has raised, do you remember that Jesus was just raised from the dead so nobody was gonna miss this. To be in the presence of God who was just nailed to a cross and now rose victorious, man, everybody was there. But it says that some were doubting and most were worshiping. Now the doubt I see here in scripture is one of astonishment. It's one that says, man, I don't believe what I'm seeing. That's the kind of doubt I think that we're dealing with. Now, there's a few other types of doubt. There's like logical doubt, right? Based on good information. It'd be like if Ryan Pfeiffer came out here and says, hey guys, I just wanna let you know that I'm an introvert. You logically in your mind would be like, I see the actions, I know who you are, and I doubt that you're an introvert. And there's lazy and excuse doubt as well. This is a lack of understanding uh, and a willingness to actually seek truth. So when we have our doubts, and um, I hear this a lot with people who have stepped away from the church, and they're just going, yeah, they blame it on them having doubts. And I'm like, man, is it doubt or is it just an unwillingness or a laziness towards actually seeking truth? And so I think it was the, the earlier one here. I think that this doubt being spoken of wasn't like, I doubt who Jesus is. I doubt who Jesus says he, uh, he, says he was. Um, it's one of just saying, man, this is amazing. I don't believe what I'm seeing. Third thing is this, this encounter sparked the very reason and reality we're all in this room today. See, we forget that, but somebody has reached out to you in your story, right? Someone has shared the gospel with you at some point in your life. Someone has taught you and discipled you. Someone has baptized you. Someone has encouraged you to do the same for others. That's why we're here. That's why this is so important. 
Lastly, this movement and what we need to see is it's empowered and sustained presently by the intimate presence uh, of Jesus. It says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we know that today God is with us and it's so important to understand that. See, when Jesus calls you to do something tough or to go somewhere tough or to, to participate in the Great Commission, his promise is that he will be with you. He's not gonna abandon you and just say, good luck, go get him. He's always with you. And we see this all throughout scripture. Remember back in Joshua? Remember that story when Joshua and Caleb, they're, they're going into um, Canaan territories. They're taking the promised land. And in chapter one, he's becomes a he becomes familiar with what is actually in front of him. And so chapter one, God's saying to Joshua, he's saying, listen, be strong and courageous because this is gonna be a tough mission. It's not gonna be easy. And then he says it a second time, hey, Joshua, only be strong and courageous. And then guess what? He says it a third time. Hey, Joshua, guess what? This isn't gonna be easy. Be strong and courageous. And then a fourth time, if the teacher says it four times, is it on the test? Yeah, it's on the test. This is important. He's saying, listen, this isn't going to be easy, but you need to be strong. You need to be courageous. Why? Because I'm with you. Because I'm with you. Actually, Joshua, you're gonna, it's gonna be taught about in Sunday school that this was your mission, but this is actually my mission. It's my mission to drive out all the evil in the land because I wanna give it to my people. This is the mission of God. In fact, they're gonna like, Harold, you as this amazing general militaristically who goes in and conquers the land. But let's be honest, Joshua, you like, you like, you marched around Jericho a couple times and you blew a horn. You're not that amazing, right? God's the one who does it. Yahweh's the one who does it. So we have to remember that today in our present time. That yeah, it's unsurmountable, the work that needs to be done outside the church walls. It's scary, especially we live in a post-Christian society who am I to take the gospel boldly to my neighbor? Who am I to take the gospel to my workplace or my school? It's scary, it's daunting, but it's not new. You see, this has been the narrative all throughout scripture. That fear that you feel, it's the same as Joshua felt, like, oh my gosh, this is unsurmount. There's no way this is ever gonna be successful. Hey, Christian, be strong and courageous. Why? Because God's with you. He says it again here in the Great Commission. This is all these things are gonna happen because I am with you to the end of the age. So when Jesus calls you to something tough, listen, he always promises to be there with you. That's his, that is, that's his modus operandi. That's, that's how he operates. And listen, he'll never ask you to do something that he himself hasn't done and modeled himself. It's just... That's our God, that's how he operates. And so when he says, listen, we are gonna go there for, we are going to do all these things, he modeled it, he showed us exactly how to do it. And that's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. It's like our God models exactly what he says to do. It's unbelievable. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, there's also four things to know here as we look to this passage. One, the commission here is to make disciples. That's the whole point. Discipleship, or the Greek word is methateo. I think I'm saying that right. If not, um, you can sue my seminary. Um, <laughs> my professors gave up on me. They're like, Joel can't even speak English. How are we gonna ever teach him like Greek and Hebrew? Um, but this word here means to be an apprentice or an, a mentee. It refers to a deeper ongoing learning process. And that's what Jesus is saying is, 
Like this is, this is how we're gonna conduct this. Every Christ follower should be able to answer these two things, I believe. This is, this is the mandate. This is, this is the crux of the Great Commission. And so for you and I in this room today, we need to be able to answer these two things. Number one, who is discipling you? And who are you discipling? As I share this, the, the weight of hypocrisy is like burdening me because, man, I pour into so many people's lives. It's, it's my occupation. It's what I do. And I love it. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to get to be able to do. But currently right now, I don't have anybody really pouring into me. And there, I'm saying it publicly. I'm like confessing it. And the reason being is because it's hard. It's hard to ask somebody for their time. It's like the most treasured thing in our society. And if, if I can be honest for a minute, like pastors are flaky. Church people are flaky. Have you ever asked sincerely for somebody to mentor you or to disciple you and for have them turn you down? I have. I sincerely have. In this church, I've said, hey, would you disciple me? Would you walk with me through this season of life? And they're like, yeah, of course. Let me, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's circle back on that. <laughs> anybody, ever, anybody ever had that? No, it's okay. You can say it. I'm, I know, I get it. I'm just on behalf of the staff. You need to know that it's not because they're lazy or because we're not interested. It's just like, man, there's a lot of work to be done. I get it. But here, we have to dig into this deeper because this is the very essence of the Christian faith. And it's one that keeps being ignored, I think. And so listen, if this is you, if you can't answer those two questions, it's time to engage. It's time to get in the fight. And what I'm gonna ask you to do right now is, is real. I'm gonna ask you to reach out to somebody and ask them specifically, will you disciple me? Will you meet with me? Will you mentor me? Whatever you wanna call it. And don't take no for an answer. I said, this last, I said this last service and I gave out my phone number. I'll give it to you, 760, write it down if you want. 805-0580, that's my phone number. You can reach out to me. If you need someone to disciple you and to walk with you, would you let me know? I would love to do it. I'd love to connect you to somebody who can. This kid Dustin last service reached out to me between services. <laughs> I got a text, man. I believe in this. I believe this is the future. I believe this is how the gospel starts to penetrate people outside the church. Because you know what? I'm not convinced we're doing a great job of that right now. That's why I wanted to speak on this. I have a friend, Jim Rippey. He's a former professional snowboarder. And when this dude got saved, it was radical. He's a pastor now, but he's still mad at Christians. He's ticked. He's like, how is it you guys had the truth. You guys had this healing potion. You guys had the, the understanding that God loves me and you guys held it to yourselves. You sang about it Sunday morning. You talked about it from some preacher boy, but you're unwilling to go share with your neighbor. You're unwilling to share it with me. What the heck's wrong with you? He carries this passion and it kind of stirs me up a little bit. I kind of side with him on the issue. Why are we letting fear and discomfort keep us from living out the Great Commission? Well, that's why we're talking about it today. Secondly, the directive here is as you go. It's not just go there for, like charge it, drop everything that you're doing and go. It's more of make disciples in whatever you are doing and whatever you end, wherever you end up going. Thirdly, 
the mandate is communal. This has to be a church emphasis. This has to be something that we as a congregation are committed to holistically. It can't just be lone rangers. Don't just leave it to the evangelists to go out there and spread the gospel. Don't just leave it to the people who have the gift of teaching to go, to go disciple others. No, 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 it's for everybody here. It's for everybody here. And fourthly, the scope of this, is, of this mission is international. It is to the ends of the earth, all the way. So yeah, some of us need to, to just go for it. Some of us need to hop on that mission trip, to talk to Nick and Kelly or Crystal and say, listen, I need to get plugged into one of these missional things that's going on around the world. It's awesome that our church is so generous towards this because I get to see it firsthand with my job at Nations Media. I work for a a media outlet that covers um, missionaries and we call them reformers, people who are postured in the most difficult places around the world. Uh, We're like a Christian National Geographic, I like to say. And when I was on on assignment, this is right before COVID hit, I got asked to join a trip to uh, the South Philippines. And I was... uh, I've been doing a lot of work in the Middle East. As you know, like Mark Foreman and I did that documentary in Iraq and um, it, was, it was gonna be a nice break. One that would, didn't require um, anybody shooting guns at us or no ISIS. And so I'm like, yeah, let's, uh, South Philippines sounds great. And so there were two stories that were interesting to me, that were presented to me. One was this pastor who built a school up in this impoverished area of the jungle, blah, 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 everyday missionary activity. And I'm going, okay, cool, whatever. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying as a journalist, there's not much of a story there. And then two, what put me on the trip was like, yeah, and then we're gonna go meet with the Bajau people. Uh, They're the sea gypsies. I'm like, sea gypsies? I'm like, sign me up. Who are these people? And they're like this nomadic group that used to live on rafts and they would travel all throughout like Malaysia and Papua New Guinea and South Philippines. And they were were fishermen and they've ended up um, basically in the inner city along the coastlines and they're homeless. And so this, this church is doing incredible work with doing VBS and all this great stuff. And so we show up there. I'm so excited to meet the sea gypsies, right? Well, guess what? It was a pretty normal missionary activity stuff. It's like, yeah, they had VBS and they were doing some healthcare stuff and they were, uh, you know, it was, it was great. It was wonderful. The, the photos turned out beautiful. I mean, God's doing a great work. Don't get me wrong. And what was opposite is when I met this pastor named Pastor Ives, who, uh, who was, who's the one who built the school up in the jungle. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. Can't wait to hear your story about how you find a church, just like every Baptist church back home. Like everybody has a school somewhere, you know? And uh, very cynical. And so we go and I meet with this guy and he's like, first of all, he goes, yes, I'm a pastor. He goes, I'm an architect. He wanted me to let me know. Like, he's an architect. I'm like, okay, all right, you're an architect. He's like, I've got, he's like, I've got 150 architects underneath me. I'm one of the leading architects in the world. I'm like, whoa, okay, that's awesome. It's great to know that. And I'm like, so how I'm doing my journalistic due diligence, how did you end up going up into the, the mountains and the jungle to, to build this school and blah, blah, blah. He goes, I'll tell you. He goes, we're, my, my friends, we're all into four by fouring. And so we all have these Toyota Land Cruisers and we go way up in the mountains and we are way, way, way off the beaten path. And I came across this tribe and I said, oh, well, Tell me about the tribe. He goes, yeah, they came across this tribe and these kids are like, they're like malnourished. He goes, they, they have bad water. They have no health care. He goes, they don't have no school. So I thought, man, my church, because God just recently called me into ministry, 
He goes, but I'm an architect. I'm like, I know you're an architect. He's like, he's like we, uh, we, we went and we're like, we could come and, and, and help these people out. So I thought, man, get me in, put me in touch with the chief. And so he puts me in, the tough, in touch with the chief. The chief's name is Datu. And Datu uh, meets with him. He says, what do you want? And he says, uh, he goes, man, I'm Pastor Ives. I'm from Mindanao City. And uh, I want to come and, and help you guys out because clearly uh, you're kind of in bad shape. He goes, what are you talking about? He's like, we don't know what we don't know. We live in the jungle. This is how it is. This is uh, Datu right here. He goes, we, uh, we've, we've been people in the jungle for, you know, four or 500 years. He goes, who are you to come from the city and tell me that we don't have these certain things? And so they're kind of, he's kind of listening. He's like, I tell you what, Pastor Ives says, in a month, because there's no roads to this village, Paco Paco, where Datu's the chief. He goes, in a month, I'm going to hike in I'm going to bring a tent and I'll stay with you for a few days and we'll build a plan on how my church congregation can come and help you guys. And Datu's like, all right, bro, you do what you need to do, but that's fine. He goes, oh, by the way, what's a tent? He's like, ah, it's like a little house with a zipper. I'm going to bring it. And he's like, okay, that's strange that you have a little house with a zipper. And so, <laughs> so Pastor Ice comes in uh, a month later and he hikes back there. And meanwhile, uh, Datu and his, and his other chieftains are, are sitting there and they're having this conference. He goes, hey, by the way, this guy from the city is coming. I think he's coming to conquer our land because uh, he wants to build schools and do all this stuff and, and give us clean water and blah, blah, blah. So I tell you what, he's, he says he's bringing this tent thing. It's like a home with a zipper. So if he sleeps in this tent, um, just go ahead and slit his throat in the middle of the night and we'll be done with him. Um, but... If we'll just put it out to the gods. If he stays in my house, he can live. Is that a fair deal? And they're all like, yeah, that's a fair deal because that's what we do. We just like kill people that buy off a whim like that. And so that's how it operates in the jungle. So Pastor Ives goes out to the jungle, sets up his tent, audibly hears the voice of God. Do not sleep in your tent. Go and ask Datu if you can sleep in his house. So he goes, Datu, can I sleep in your house? He goes, yes, welcome, you must live now. And so he comes in and he lives. <laughs> Crazy story. In fact, uh, do you have the video? Can you roll the video? You're not gonna believe me, so I'm just gonna play a video for you and show you. Oh, yes, sir, I, I would like to apologize, Pastor I, because if I kill him two years ago, then the ministry will not be. <laughs> okay, cut. So this is, I'm telling you, this is real. And so as a journalist, I'm going, Wait, what did you just say? Like, you were going to kill him if he slept in his tent? Like, yes, this is a real story. So then he goes, they agree. They go, okay, so you can come and you can build your, your school and you can bring us fresh water and clean water and all that stuff. But when you come up with your people next time, I want you to bring two trees. And Pastor I was like, okay. So from Mindanao, it's down on the, in, at sea level. And they're up a thousand feet um, up in the mountains. And so he just goes, picks up two coconut trees from the local nursery, throws them in the truck, drives up. Well, if you know anything about trees, which I didn't, coconut trees don't grow in the mountains and they especially don't bear fruit, okay? So the whole deal is they pull up, here are the trees and, and Dato goes, okay, so before the gods, we will see if your intentions are good or bad and we will make a pact together. We will bury these trees, we, uh, we will plant these trees, we will put, children on our shoulders for the future generations to know this pact and this deal. And if the trees flourish and grow, then you can stay here and do your missional activity or whatever you want to call it. And so Pastor Ives is like, okay, 
Meanwhile, his buddy's like, oh no, this is a bad thing because those are coconut trees. They don't grow and they especially don't bear fruit. Well, guess what happens? They plant these trees ceremonially, the kids on their shoulder. And guess what happens? The trees grow miraculously. I saw them, my own, my own eyes. I saw these two trees, they grow. And guess what? They start bearing fruit full-on miracle. I'm like, is this the Old Testament? Did I go back in time? What's going on? And so they're sitting there and uh, all of the the tribe now, they're seeing this happen. And they all said, hey, um, who is the God that you are, are, you worship? And they're like, it's, it's Jehovah God. He's the one true living God. uh, And that's, that's, that's who we, that's whose name we come in. They're like, yeah, we're all converting to that because the God of the coconuts, we understand, is the one true living God. And that's the God you brought us. So can you please build us a church before you build us this school and all the water? Like we need a church. And so the whole tribe converts to Christianity. I'm going, what? This is incredible. And so sure enough, next step, they build the church then they build the school. And Dato says, well, Pastor Ives, we have a big problem because um, kids don't like school. He's like, I don't know where you come from, but kids hate school. And so we're content with just being in the jungle. And and so so he goes, the only way they're going to go back to school (laughs) is if I go back to school. And so Datu, the tribal chieftain, (laughs) who's 62, by the way, he's 62 years old. He looks like he's 31. It's like, I'm going to move to the jungle because... So he goes back to school. Guess what? All the kids follow. And this spring, Datu just graduated from high school. Isn't that cool? It's so, it's so amazing. So the whole tribe has come to Jesus. The whole, I mean, it's just an absolute miracle and revival because Pastor Ives was faithful with this great commission. He's like, listen, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to be easy, but we're going to do it. And they did it. And God was faithful in, in saving his people. Incredible. It's, it's, like, it's one of the, the perks of getting to do my job. I get to be a part of these, these types of stories, at least report on them. So bringing it back to us, okay? So for Pastor Ives, the, the difficulties were obviously location, it's not easy getting back to this place. It's not easy getting back to Paco Paco, which by the way, uh, when I was, I was walking with pastor, or I was walking with Datu and I said, what does Paco Paco mean? He goes, oh, Paco Paco. He's like, we, it's the name of our, our tribe. And he goes, uh, we are a Muslim people. He goes, uh, we come from Saudi Arabia. Um, the king had three boys uh, and they came and they, to scout out the land to conquer it. And two of the boys were very good boys. One of the boys was very bad. He drank all the alcohol and slept with all the girls. And so the other two brothers just left him here. And so he's the father of our, of our tribe. <laughs> he goes, so, 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 uh, so Paco Paco means left behind. I'm like, left behind? <laughs> sounds like a Kirk Cameron movie. He's like, yeah, it's like, it's like left behind. And so that's, that's what we're, that's, that was our identity until the God of the coconuts. I go, that's incredible. It's so amazing. So what are the hindrances for us in our culture for, for taking the Great Commission seriously? Well, here's what are not hindrances, okay? Number one, it's, it's not because we are now living in a post-Christian society. That's not it. I don't know if you've been feeling that weight. I sure have. Man, every time I turn on the news, it's like, it just feels like 
our nation is becoming more and more godless. And it's true, it's, it's naturally happening, but that doesn't prevent the great, commissioning, the great commission from working. That doesn't prevent God from moving today. We have to understand that. Number two, it's not because God no longer cares or is able. Both of those are false. I think the things that hold us back as a society and as a church, and me personally, I'm speaking from firsthand firsthand account here, is is apathy. It's laziness towards this. Uh, I don't pray for my neighbors as I ought to. I don't pray for my community as I ought to. And I'd like that to change in my life. Number two, idol worship is something I think that that gets in the way. Um, Our money, our real estate, our hobbies. Oh man, let me, shoot. It's in my notes, I gotta say it. Uh, There are days I think about airplanes more than I think about God. I love, I love flying, I love, I love aviation. And um, there, I said it from the pulpit. Oh my gosh. Tim Keller says this and I like it. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Yikes. I know the idols in my life are preventing me from the Great Commission. Thirdly, deification of self. I think in our culture, it's very prevalent right now that we've turned ourselves into gods. The conversation is like, what makes you happy? What, it's, all, it's all self-centered, self-focused. It's like, man, if that's what we're gonna preach and if that's what we're gonna believe, guess what? We can't be surprised when our culture is struggling with depression and anxiety. When you run around and think that you're God and it's all about you and making you happy, well, guess what? You're gonna fail at that and guess what? You're not God and so guess what? Depression and anxiety are a natural outcome usually of that. Now, what I'm not saying is that if you do have depression and anxiety, you think that you're God. I'm just saying that as it's, it's just talked about so much within culture right now, I see the bridge between the two. Does that make sense? So what do we do with that? Well, I think it's time to get in the game, to give our idols a rest and to take our focus off ourselves and to put it on those who desperately need Jesus. You see, I was that kid, 18 years old, who thank God, Brett Hersom had the courage and the audacity to share the gospel with me. I'm standing here in front of you, a result of that interaction, that encounter with the gospel changed me forever. And so who are we to just hang on to this amazing salvation that we have? Who are we to say, hang on to this gospel message that was intended for every single person? Man, I think it's time to get back into the game. Well, the Paco Paco story doesn't end there. Last year, Pastor Ives and Datu were walking the land and they came across the, uh, the two coconut trees. And Pastor Ives uh, said, man, Dato, isn't amazing? These, uh, it's amazing what God has done. He goes, yes. Dato says, Pastor Ives, the trees now are 13 years old. Do you know what that means? And Pastor Ives goes, no, I don't. What, is it, what, do you, what does that mean? He goes, it means that they are now mature. And he's like, I didn't know that about coconut trees. He's like, no, no, no. 
Age 13, it's the age of maturity. Within the tribe, just like anywhere else, it's when a boy becomes a man. And so he says, Pastor Ives, he goes, now that the coconut trees are mature, we now know that our faith in Jesus Christ is now mature. And Pastor Ives goes, well, that's kind of bad theology. Uh, I don't really know what to, like, how, what to correct here, but I'm listening, go on. He goes, now that our faith is mature in the God of the coconuts, Jehovah God, the one true living God, it is now up to us to take the gospel to our neighbors. And Pastor Ives says, no, 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 you, you can't do that. He says, why not? Because all of your neighbors are all radical, radical Muslims. They'll kill you. They're followers of ISIS. And I heard this firsthand on the ground. I said, excuse me, what? <laughs> wh- where are these tribes? They're like, oh, right there, 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 there. And I'm like, do not tell my wife because she <laughs> about had a heart attack when we went to Iraq four times. So, um, and so I said, if we take the gospel to our neighbors, it'll cost us our life. And Pastor Dato says, that's the Christian message. He says, pastor, you're a pastor, you know this. The gospel of which you believe teaches that, that our own God went to the cross so that we might have life. He goes, so who am I to like sit here and, and keep the gospel message to myself? He goes, our neighbors have to hear, we have to go. And so Pastor Ives just reported to me that out of the 91 tribes around Paco Paco, 19 of them have converted to Christianity. Right? And so what, a, what a insurmountable odds they, they would have with that, right? If anybody has to be trepidatious about sharing the gospel with their neighbor, discipling their neighbors, it ought to be Datu and, and the, everybody in Paco Paco. But see, everybody down to the kids, they know. It's like, man, the gospel's too precious to hang on to by myself. We have to lean into this great commission. We have to understand that God cares deeply for the people around us and he's invited us to participate in their salvation and their discipleship and their baptism. Wow, what an awesome responsibility. So what does it take? I think it takes a little commitment. We've got to commit to it. Psalm 37, five says, commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him also, and he's going to do it. What is he going to do? I don't know, but historically it's good. When God's in it, it's good. If we commit to the process, it's gonna turn out just fine. Number one, come to Jesus. Adhere to the, respond to his invitation to himself. Find him, seek him, knock on the door, ask for him. Find the rest, salvation, life, purpose that he offers. Be obedient to the things that he asks you to do in that time. Go follow him into a discipleship relationship with somebody into the mission field, at home, work, school, community, world, or to the ends of the earth. I think some of you in here need to join Nick and Crystal and and, uh, Kelly on a trip somewhere. It'll change you forever. I think we should all go to Paco Paco myself. I think it would be awesome. Number three, as we cling to this uh, abiding relationship, nourished, healed, empowered by God's intimacy, allowing the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be evident to those around us, that we might be sheltered from the enemy's work. We find that love that only God can offer. That gives us a love for our family or community and even our enemies. And lastly, 
we get to then bear witness. Ah, there it is. What we thought the message was going to be about. But you see, so much needs to happen before then. Those two invitations are perpetual. They're every day. And that's what sustains any missional activity. Come unto me, Jesus says. Now come follow me. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that we would have the audacity and the courage and the strength to go therefore, to participate in your mission. We declare that this is your mission. And we thank you that we individually are subjects of your mission. Lord, you came after us. You're a missional God and we're thankful. So Lord, help us commit. Help us get back in the game. We're so grateful for you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.